Hello, welcome to Church Unscripted. Uh, this is a ministry of Brookside Church. Please feel free to uh, like, comment, subscribe. Um, you can also text any uh, questions that you have to 260-250-4700. My name is Luke Chappelle. I'm joined by Eric Dubaugh and David Johnson today. So thank you guys for being here, and this is going to be a ton of fun. Absolutely. Always is. It always is? Yes, it is. So, Eric, I, you know, from your sermon on Sunday, you, uh, um, you quoted a I got the sense from your prep that you really wanted to make it two sermons. Oh yeah, and, and you were easily... and you were trying to like go. How do I <laughs> yeah, fit yeah. in another like half sermon here right. without you know making everybody get nervous, yeah, right? Um, and so you, you were right. you, you were uh, hinting at some uh, mm-hmm. some extra material uh, regarding um, yeah. uh, some of the conversation. Would you mind kind of starting yeah. off with that, unpacking Absolutely. that, and maybe we'll we'll go from there. Absolutely. And that kind of, that's kind of one of the secrets of, of being a pastor. People are like, how do you come up with enough content for a 30-minute sermon? That's not the problem. <laughs> that's not the problem. It's, it's how do you cut it so that you can get it into 30 minutes? And most of the time I blow that because I'm way over 30 minutes. So that's not the problem. So, so your question comes from uh, some Nehemiah chapter 5 where we see at the end of the passage, right. he encourages his people who have worked their tails off from morning until night. Uh, and then probably the thing they need the most is sleep at that point. But he says, no, no, you're going to work all day. And then, and we're not sure how long this lasted, you're going to stand guard by night. I'm like, all right, how do you do that if you're right. dead dog tired, right? And yet you still have to stand vigilant. And that's kind of what I understood fasting was. So I kind of dug into that. Mm. And I, one, I, I asked the question, what really is fasting? Because my history mm. with fasting has been, at least in my understanding, somewhat of a failure. I don't know if I did it right. I don't know if it accomplished anything. Maybe I just skipped a meal and that's all that was, right? So I, I looked around a little bit and I discovered that Isaiah 58, which is what you're referring to, gives us some, a pretty good picture of God's heart for fasting. And uh, if I could just summarize the chapter a little bit, it starts off where Isaiah says, um, you fast as if you were a nation that does right. You fast as if you had not forsaken my commands. Um, it's as if you are really seeking the heart of, of, of the Father in heaven. But then he goes on to say, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting mm-hmm. ends in quarreling and strife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later on, so pretty much what he's saying is that you have the best of intentions with fasting. However, uh, your behavior towards other people mm-hmm. is not in any way the heart of God. So gotcha. the first thing I'm learning about fasting is that we can often do fasting, but it really doesn't accomplish anything because, because the other behavioral relation or the relationship we have, the behavior we have with them mm-hmm. is, is not in any way the heart of God. And so if, mm-hmm. if you say, I really need to hear from God on this, mm-hmm. or if I've got a sickness that I'm gonna fast over, mm-hmm. um, if you're treating people poorly, not like Jesus would treat them, then it's almost like your fasting lands on deaf ears. And I know that's hard to hear, but then I keep reading and I hear, I hear what the heart of God is for fasting. He says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free? And that language sounds very familiar to the New Testament where Jesus Absolutely. says, I have come yeah. to set the captives free, to, set the, to give freedom to the captives and, um, and uh, freedom to the oppressed and to break every yoke. Mm. And it sounds very similar that because Jesus was on mission to, um, to give people freedom and sure. hope and life, that's why God heard his prayers. So now I'm just rethinking all of the ways that I have understood fasting before and realized mm. uh, I had no idea. And God's not really evaluating what I'm fasting about. He's evaluating the way I'm treating people. Am I exploiting people? Am I mm. um, 
berating people. And I think, I think that's a, mm. a bigger issue. So I think, I don't know if I did the church a huge justice this weekend by kind of introducing this thing <laughs> called fasting and really not going to depth with it because I think what I might've done is just created more confusion. So I don't know. What did uh, I do guys? Did I, I create confusion when I talked about fasting? I, I think it could have gone two ways. To me, it, it drew intrigue. So yeah, I was absolutely. actually, I was actually more uh, like, okay, so what is this fasting thing about? You said Isaiah 58. I had never really, uh, put that together with fasting in the new Testament. So it drew me to want to learn more. And it's actually just in the last 24 hours, my mm. understanding of fasting has broadened just because you, we open, brought it up. You open the can of worms. I put a, I put a grenade. And also I have to talk on this podcast. No, okay. <laughs> um, but, but I think for some people it, was, it could be confusing because sure. like, like you said, like, especially in our culture right now, you get, Oh, I'm going to do a social media fast or I'm going to, you know, fast from coffee or, you know, but it's mm -hmm. like, it's not actually getting to the heart of it. And I think that's what the Isaiah passage is saying is like, it's more important about the heart of it because really all they were doing was fasting for the religious sake to say, I fast, mm -hmm. but they weren't allowing it to affect their heart. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know, maybe you opened a can of worms and maybe you drew people in to study more. I'm sure it's well, both. I, I hope, well, <laughs> I certainly hope it's both. But I, I think what this did is it, um, there's a lot of spiritual disciplines, Luke, yeah. that we see in scripture. Right. I, I think there's some that, that we embrace more readily than others. Fasting is not one of them. Yeah. I don't remember in the nine years I've been here that I've actually spoken about fasting from stage. Maybe a couple of times, but I don't remember. Mm. I've never taught on what it means. I've so never if you don't remember, we probably don't probably remember don't, either. No, absolutely not. Um, but I don't remember like any anybody asking the question, hey, does, is Brookside right. a church that fasts? Mm. I don't remember anybody coming up and saying, mm -hmm. uh, hey, here's, I've, got a, I've got a pattern of fasting in my life. Now, granted, mm. the New Testament says, don't let your right hand know what you're doing. In fact, don't broadcast that you're fasting. Right. But I think you could, tell if that's a part of somebody's life. So have, have, all right, chairman of the elder board, here's the question. Have we done, you know, Brookside, I don't like it when you use that title. Right? I know you're welcome. <laughs> you know. Um, have we done Brookside a disservice by not just pushing mm. biblical dis, or discipline of Bible reading, discipline of prayer, but not mm. the discipline of fasting? Um, so basically you're asking me to throw you under the bus for... <laughs> well, here's your opportunity. For, <laughs> for not, I was hoping you For not leading <laughs> us in that. Wow. Well, thanks for the loaded question, Eric. That's uh, a green light. Usually you, you, usually you tee it. me up for things yeah. and I'm like, I'm going to smack that. And this time I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do. Um, I mean, I think... I think one of the things that you spoke about several months ago, so a couple of things come to mind when you ask me that question. Um, you mentioned a sermon series potentially in the future about spiritual disciplines. Mm -hmm. And I, what, I love about, what I loved about to yesterday was you kind of opening that door, mm -hmm. right, into that. Um, because I think that, I mean, understanding what those natural rhythms look like, mm -hmm. what, is, what, is, what are, I mean, when we even talk about spiritual disciplines, what does, that, what does that even mean? What are they? What do they look like? And so to David's point, I think that, yes, you created some intrigue around this. Do I think it's a topic that we could probably spend four weeks on? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, just, I mean, to David's point, in, as I was kind of unpacking your, your sermon yesterday, uh, making some notes around it, I'm like, wow, okay, there's a lot here. Mm. I think ultimately, though, what we need to be conscious of is like, what... And I, and I think, you know, your reference, especially in Isaiah 58, 
um, you know, the ways that Jesus references this um, in his own words. And, um, you know, even some of what's addressed here in Nehemiah is, well, yes, we need spiritual disciplines, but I think one of the things that we've gotten away from, you know, as a, as a church is we were like, oh, we, we don't want to be legalistic, mm. right? So how much do we want to shove down people's throats? Oh, well, we, we're going to do, you know, we need to pray. We need to read our Bibles. You need a 15 minute quiet time. Like we, we don't want to be that checklist mm-hmm. of things that Jesus also talks, gets upset with the Pharisees and Sadducees about. Right. You know, you oppress all of your people with all these things that they need to do and all these boxes that they need to check. Mm-hmm. So I think we, there's that fine line there. Yeah. And so I think when we get into these spiritual disciplines, what we really need to think about as we start to unpack these further is what fruit do they produce? What's the intended fruit for them to produce, right? Um, it's that whole, you know, you shall know them by their fruit, right? Well, yeah. if it's not producing anything, and I think that's exactly what Isaiah 58 is saying, is that, hey, you're fasting, but it's not actually changing you. Mm-hmm. There's no fruit being produced from this. In fact, no one can tell you being any different from anyone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and that might be the reason that people avoid fasting because if they've tried it in the past, they're like, okay, I don't know what that did. And so why mm-hmm. continue to do something that you yeah. see doesn't work? Right. Um, well, and, and I think you also have to try to put it in context of, you know, we as Americans, we don't want for food mm-hmm. for the most mm-hmm. part. Very few of us do, at least. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate. That's not a, mm-hmm. a, a core problem in our household. Um, so we don't even think about what is hungry like. Like, do we, do we don't even wait till we get hungry to eat, yeah. most of us. Well, we right? really have no idea what hunger is right. in, our, yeah. in our culture. And, and mm-hmm. so I love the concept of the fast because it's like, okay, wait a second. I'm going to deny myself mm-hmm. a basic human need. Mm-hmm. I can't deny myself air. I can't deny myself, but food, right? Mm-hmm. I can control that. And I'm going to replace that desire with intimacy with Christ. Mm. Okay. Is that actually what I'm doing when I'm fasting? Like, is, is, am I retraining my mind every time I feel that hunger to make that a hunger for intimacy and relationship with Christ? Or am I just dwelling on hunger pains. Well, I, w- I wonder if sometimes like I've, I've tried to fast before, like in youth group, I think we were good, good at fasting. We'd do like the 30 hour fast and right. there'd be games and there would be, you know, missionaries that you're praying for and different structure. And that makes it easier. But I think sometimes even like day to day, like, oh, I'm going to fast. Well, okay, I'm going to fast, but then I'm going to pack my day full of stuff. So I don't even have time to think about how hungry mm, I am. Right. So again, the motive is, well, we should fast, but I don't know what that means. So I'm just going to not eat and hope that doesn't mm. and just go on with our day. I don't know. Yeah, man, I, I think this is part of a conversation that we're not willing to have in any other part of our life. <laughs> let, let, me, let me explain myself. So you Deny mentioned- yourself. Exactly. No, exactly. So for really example, you mentioned the whole legalistic stuff. Like yeah. we don't want to create a legalistic culture. Sure. I think, and you can dis- disagree with me on this, but I feel mm. like the church has gotten to a point where we have so harped on the evil of legalism right. that we've actually cautioned people out of structural spiritual habits. Pendulum went yeah. too I mean, far. Yeah. For example- yeah. Uh, my son, he's 10, right? Yep. <clears throat> so he has <clears throat> aspirations of going pro, right? In basketball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's going to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're so kind. 
He's yeah. got the heart. Man. He's got the heart. Got that's it. that's all it takes. None, no skill. Anyway, so we keep telling him. What's interesting is he was watching the NBA draft, and so yeah. after all these draft players were interviewed, you know, said so it went. What have you done to get to this point? And they're all mm. like, you know, when I was nine years old, I was out there shooting fifty free throws a day and doing yeah. ten push-ups, going to the gym. And so Judah's ten, and we're like, hey, Judah, did you hear that? If you want to go play basketball in any kind of college, right, you're going to have to like right now do 50 free throws a day, make 53 free throws a day, do push-ups, do the wind sprints. Um, And so I think there's a reality of if you actually want to win at something, Mm. there has to be some structural Mm -hmm. discipline in place. And I think that's true of of scripture. I mean, I read back in Isaiah 58 and it says, if you do... Um, things to oppress the, I mean, to set the oppressed free, to break the yokes. If you share your food with the hungry, if you provide for the poor, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Um, and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before mm-hmm. you. And what I'm realizing is back in Nehemiah, if they did not fast or sleep that night, uh, the enemies would have seen that and would have blown right in Jerusalem, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the way you get spiritual victory mm-hmm. is, is not by praying the right prayer. Mm. It's by having the right kind of disciplines in place to keep Mm. the intimacy and the connection with the heart of God alive and well. And I mean, and they, you you said, you said, you know, we don't do it very well. Mm. Like what are we supposed to do? I mean, how do we pray? (laughs) Are we just distracted about stuff? And I think, yeah, absolutely. A part of that is that's true for everything. Like when people start reading the Bible, like how do I read this thing? I mean, where do I start? And then if I start in Genesis, Genesis, what do I do with all the stuff that's confusing? So we say, no, start reading in John, you know, it's easier. I think that's the same thing with fasting and any spiritual discipline is mm. you start yeah. and then as you get more acquainted with it, you become in a sense more of an expert Absolutely. on it. And then I think it shows yourself to be more well, effective. I think you uh, you know this super well. And the same thing happens with exercise, right? Absolutely. Certain exercises, you do certain things mm. to develop what you're trying to achieve, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if I want to be marathon runner, well, I'm probably not, trying to do squats and, you know, whatever, pull-ups, right? I'm out yeah. there training for a marathon. Similarly, if I'm going to train to do deadlifts, well, I'm probably not necessarily out there running 20 miles a day. Right. The same thing applies here. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think maybe one of the ways that we can really challenge people is, how do you want to grow? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, let's, let's fast forward and you can do this with any relationship, but especially with your relationship with Christ. And one of my, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Nate Zimmerman, uh, he's mentioned something to me a couple months ago and he was like, you know, I, I wonder if heaven will just be like us constantly becoming more intimate with Christ. Mm, that's a good way to put it. Like, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to hang on to that one. Yeah. So you're welcome, Nate. <laughs> yeah. I hung on to that one. Um, but but you know, there's no reason why that has to start also in heaven. That starts now. Yeah. So like, how do you want your spiritual, Mm. how do you want your relationship with Christ Mm. to be better six months from now than it is today? Mm. What does that look like? Do you want it to change? Why not? Mm. Um, Why do you? Well, how do you change that relationship? How do you grow in intimacy with him Mm. um, over that time period? And and maybe that is a period of fasting. Mm. Maybe it's, wow, it sounds like you need, maybe it's that you need more community with fellow believers. Maybe it's that, whatever that looks like. And then let's, let's try to figure out 
how we help you with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's interesting, I mean, if, if I could keep the analogy of athletics in this, right? Yeah, sure. Um, if you don't implement the, the disciplines necessary to thrive in your athletic skill, mm-hmm. then eventually you no longer are in the game. All you are are spectators. Yeah. And I think we have a lot of people who, because they haven't implemented some of these spiritual disciplines into their life, mm-hmm. they still love God. And they love the church. They want to see people come to know him, but they're at this point, they're, they're more spectators because they haven't trained themselves mm. in godliness. Isn't that what the New Testament says? I mean, train yourself in godliness, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so you can grow up yeah. into the fullness of Christ. Mm. So right. um, again, I, this is like a 10,000 foot view of fasting, I think, and I don't have it all figured out, yeah. but I just thought, Nehemiah thought it was important when they were building the wall. Oh yeah. Mm. And part of the victory of building the wall was this discipline of fasting. Mm-hmm. So is it okay to kind of pivot now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that, that you really, um, that I really enjoyed, especially at the, the opening of your, your sermon, you, know, you were talking about, um, you know, how do we rebuild from wounding? Mm-hmm. Like, and so as just kind of a, a segue conversation, what, I mean, you know, that was one of the things that, that, you touched on and I was kind of like, wow, okay, there's a lot to unpack there for yeah. people. Mm. Um, what, and, and I think, I think to a certain degree, everyone is a little bit different in how they would approach that. But like from, from your personal experiences, when you've seen others be wounded, you know, we're, we're thinking about, here we are, we've got Nehemiah, right? He's been called to go back. He's been sent to go mm-hmm. build this wall. You know, you, there's this awesome vision around it. He has the resources. He has the people. And then what happens? They get there and it's worse than he ever imagined. I mean, he was sent never having seen the thing. He just got reports of it. It's not like he had, you know, oh, Mm -hmm. FaceTime with me on the, yeah, yeah, oh, wow, that looks pretty bad. Um, He's just sent to do it, right? It's worse than he could have ever imagined. Um, And then they have this great vision for it, but then they start getting attacked, Right, um, you know, one of the and and you went on to talk about how, um, you know, how do you start to rebuild when it when it looks when you're so demoralized? You're, you're, yeah, you're under yeah. this pile of rubble. Mm-hmm. You know, what have you guys seen, um, either for yourselves or for others that that helped through that process? You're looking at me. Looking at you. You're looking right. at I've me. Talked too much I'm, already. I'm processing that honestly. I, That's I okay. Um, I think there's a few different ways to look at it. Um, I mean, when you think about being demoralized, a lot of times that's relationally mm. in our culture. Like sure. our opposition is not like enemies coming in, tearing down our church walls. It's more personal. Um, and I think one of the ways that you can begin to rebuild is simply forgiveness. Ooh. I think that like as wow. soon as you ask the question, it wasn't associated with, general opposition but that was the word that came to mind was just forgiveness because um, i mean that that's all throughout the new testament like if as far as it depends on you live at peace with one another mm-hmm. and uh i think the only way that we can begin to step back into the vision that god has given us is if we're able to forgive those who come against us mm-hmm. if we don't then it eats us alive and then our attention is now on this right. hurt or this opposition instead of the vision. Yeah, because I mean, to your point, like I, I didn't even think about Nehemiah shows up. There's no, I, I, who knows what resentment there 
you know, harboring against the people that tore these walls down, right? right? Like who did this to our city? Who did this to our people? Why did they, I want to get revenge on this. But to like release that as forgive, wow. Yeah, Yeah, well, because they could have just gone to battle with whoever tore it down. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, It's just like, well, okay, let's, uh, let's move past that. Yeah, right. There seems to be two kinds of opposition. There's a kind of opposition that's just diametrically opposed to you and your vision mm-hmm. because they have a different God they're serving and a different mm-hmm. agenda. And in that case, it's, it's not a matter of forgiveness. However, there are some opposition that's more relational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where the Matthew 18 passage comes into play and it's critical to move forward because mm-hmm. I think, it, I mean, I talked about how God is waiting on us on certain things before he blesses or jumps into the battle himself. Maybe for us, one of the things he's waiting for is a reconciled relationship before he says, I'm going to really put my blessing on that vision. Wow. And, and that talk about things that we're perhaps doing Brooks out of disservice to. Are we encouraging people? (laughs) I mean, are we doing this? Are we encouraging people, even facilitating our people to have reconciled relationships? I mean, it's not like we can get on the phone for them or anything like that, no. but it's, it's, do you know somebody who's got something against you and are you leaving your mm-hmm. gift at the altar, mm-hmm. right? As Jesus says, and then going to reconcile and then come back to worship. I don't see anybody wow. getting up out of worship and leaving. I mean, except to go to the bathroom, you know, but, <laughs> but you know. So if I walk about? out next Sunday, you'll know what I'm up to. Is that what? <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I have I'm like confused Somebody now. doesn't like Luke right now. He's going to go make it right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now I'm going to feel afraid to move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be watching. But no, I I love that you guys started there with, you know, how does that, because ultimately, I mean, and and this is the conversation that I I enjoy having with our kids is like, is, is forgiveness really about the other person or is it about you? Mm. Right. Um, And it's, and it's both and, right. But, you know, growing up, I, I don't even, I'm sure I was past teenage where someone's like, yeah, forgiveness is actually more about your heart than it is about Mm. And, and you being able to release it mm-hmm. yeah. than it is them actually receiving yeah. it. Right. And I was like, oh, shoot. That would have been really helpful about <laughs> a decade ago if, <laughs> if someone would have yeah. downloaded yeah. that for me. I probably wasn't paying attention yeah. is probably <laughs> yeah. what the issue was. Um, there is so much demoralization, though, that can be remedied by a reconciled relationship. Wow. It's, it's, I think a lot of demoralization comes mm. from broken relationships. Yeah. And I think I'm glad that our God gives us so much... Uh, encouragement and um, training in scripture to rebuild those relationships. Um, But I mean, to answer that question uh, from another point of view, and that is if you're stuck in a pit of demoralization, Mm -hmm. sometimes you need somebody who's not demoralized to come around you and just encourage you. Right. And I hope that people have somebody like that. Mm -hmm. Um, If not just a counselor, but just a a more um, experienced, weathered believer of Jesus who can say, you know, I've been there. And here's, here's what you need to do. Well, and more to that point, I mean, I think as you, as you look at that as a church body, you know, we need to, we need to look at this place more like a hospital than anything, mm-hmm. right? We're all here for wound care. We're all here for heart remedies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what Christ offers. And so, you know, we, we, we you know, everybody's heard the mantra, you know, we're all the fine family, right? Everybody mm-hmm. comes through and, Oh, you know, we're all dressed nice and we show up and we put on our faces. How was your week? Oh, it was great. No, it wasn't. Like, I mean, what, you know, that's not possible, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and so, you know, are we okay mm. as a church body with others not being okay? Mm. 
And then how do we react to that? How do we love in those situations? Mm. Um, I mean, those are the things I, I feel like you guys challenging me with right now. So that's, I appreciate that. So mm. thank you with that. Yeah, well, Jesus, Jesus had to be okay with it because his disciples <laughs> for three years were a hot mess most of the time. <laughs> Doubting and questioning and betraying and... Jesus, I mean, you was, want us to call down fire? Exactly. <laughs> no. Like, have you seen me do that yet? Like, yeah, by the time the rooster crows, you'll betray me three times. I mean, they were a mess. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, clearly, if anybody was okay with people not being okay, it was yeah, Christ. Absolutely. So like, how do we model that? Mm -hmm. I think it's huge. Mm -hmm. The other piece to the, to the rebuilding, you spoke a lot about um, fear and guilt. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so I think some of the guilt piece we've touched on already with, with you know, forgiving others, but also being able to, like, how do we forgive mm -hmm. ourselves in that yeah. moment? Talk, I mean, would love for both of you to go, like, how do you, how do you help people with the fear aspect? You know, here's this great big new challenge, right? Uh, take Menina Nehemiah, for example. Take, and I know some of your personal stories, and, you know, take those and go, you know, we have this vision, we're trying to go with something, and people get in the way, and then all of a sudden now, not only is there mm. people in the way, people are threatening. Mm. There's legit fear mm. around where we're headed, mm -hmm. right? How do you wrestle with that? <laughs> I, I find it interesting, like specifically with Nehemiah's story, and I think I've mentioned this a few other times. I think he was able to withstand that because of chapter one, when he says, mm. as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So I think his resilience came from an encounter with God. Mm. And so if it sounds like, it sounds really insensitive to say that to somebody. So what I'm not saying is like, well, if you just have an encounter with God, you'll be better. Right. But I think it shifts your. Because that wouldn't be scripturally. Well, right, and I think it helps shift your perspective because now your 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 eyes are not on the opposition. Mm -hmm. Your eyes are on, like you you mentioned it. What was your, what was your point? Uh, when you remember the size of your God, you realize the size of your opposition, and I think that's. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think that prayer and fasting encounter with God that's the foundation for being able to stand in a spot where there is opposition. Mm. I, think, I think this can get very, very practical. Yeah. Um, let me just throw out three quick examples. What if somebody feels the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, uh, the whole idea of a tithe, mm. uh, that ten, first 10%, the first fruits of your resources belongs to God. God says, bring it into the storehouse, right? Mm -hmm. But you've not had a culture in your home of that, generosity. Mm. And then you hear the Holy Spirit say, I want you to start to give because that first 10%, that's not yours, that's God's. And he wants you to learn to depend on him because mm. he's the one that's going to sustain you. Mm. So what that might do is say, if I actually pursue this vision that God is giving me, this purpose, then, then we're not going to have enough money. Right. And so now the there's fear. that fear. And then yep. what if you start giving, then there's the guilt of, of okay, well, now we don't have enough. Yep. And so that's my fault for making my family suffer financially mm. because I decided to give and follow Jesus in this 
manner. That's one example. Mm-hmm. What about another one is our, our vision is Jesus-centered homes, right? Right. Gospel-saturated communities. And so what if a Brookside family says, I've got two neighbors just down the street. Mm-hmm. We're the same age, our kids are the same age, but if I start invite them over and talk about Jesus, then it's gonna be awkward every time we see them on the street, you know? And so if that happens and it ruins my kid's friendship with them, then I'm gonna feel guilty about that. Uh, I mean, a couple of examples right there. What about when you want to implement spiritual disciplines into your home? If we're yeah. going to talk about spiritual mm-hmm. disciplines yeah. and we say, hey, kids, before we go to bed, we're going to spend some time reading scripture and praying together. Um, and then you get fearful of that because what if your kids never embrace it? What if it pushes them away from Jesus? What if you do it wrong? And then all of a sudden, if they say, you know, I'm not interested right. in church anymore. I mean, I'm dealing with that a little bit. I mean, yeah. there's too many there are too many horror stories of pastors' kids growing up and leaving the church. Mm. And, and we've even heard our own kids say, you know, I don't want to go to church because yeah. they'd much rather play their switch or just play with their friends and stuff. <laughs> right. And so how do, I mean, I'm afraid of, you know, what would that look like? And then if they walk away from the church, does that mean that, well, I'm guilty because I pushed them to go every week? Mm. Um, did they have to be there every time the doors were open? So I think it can be really, really practical. But when I remember that God is sovereign, The Holy Spirit is as much in my kids and drawing them. He's the hound of heaven, right? Mm. And he is drawing my kids to him. Mm. He's drawing neighbors to himself. And when I pursue my neighbors with Mm. the gospel message, Holy Spirit goes before me. Mm -hmm. So when I remember the size of my God, I I realize the size of my opposition too, even if the opposition is my Mm. own fear. Mm. I don't know, just some thoughts. No, that's good. I love that. When I I look at Nehemiah, I was... uh, I was reminded I have a few, uh, at my office at work, I have like quotes all over the place. I just, yeah. I like to, one of them's from you. Yeah. You know that. I know that, yeah. And you get embarrassed every time I say that. <laughs> um, but I was reminded a lot of one, um, Tom Douglas is a songwriter. He's written tons of songs. Um, and I was listening to a podcast that he was on not that long ago. And he said, the greatest place to be before God is helpless. Mm. And I thought, holy cow. Like, and when I was thinking about your sermon yesterday, and then I was like, yes, absolutely. Mm. But then as you think about incorporating that with fasting, mm. right? Well, I, I, Lord, I'm, I'm helpless at the moment. I mm. am hungry. Yeah. And I'm not going to do anything about that. Mm. You have to show up. Yeah. That's, that's the dependency. Right. Right. Like, I mean, you even mentioned that with tithing. Like, I give, but now I don't have. So that's what it develops in us. Right. With those, even that spiritual discipline, that dependency. That's- and then the other one that I have on my wall that, that um, I'm not sure exactly who it's by, but I have, um, we all eat lies when our hearts are hungry. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. I mean, when you think about fear and guilt, mm-hmm. And then like those things compounding on each other. Uh, you know, yesterday you were talking about, um, you know, where do we go when, mm-hmm. you know, what are we looking to when we have those hard moments in life, right? Um, you know, how do we, you know, are we just looking for the next, man, I'm just gonna have to go get another Starbucks or am I gonna have to have another beer or whatever the case is, right? Um, you know, how are we medicating ourselves when really, it, it, the medication, Jesus is my high, right? I'm sorry. I just, that was, <laughs> oh, um, we're going to get comments about that one. Sorry. Yes, I said that. Like youth camp Jesus. It does, it does sound like yeah. 19, 
90s youth camp I may have gone to. Um, but, um, but I mean, quite literally, though, like, I, we have, the, especially in our current society, you can medicate however you want to medicate. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Sin or not sin. Whatever that looks like. How, how do we... How do we get our souls, our hearts, our minds to go, what am I really doing right now as I go back for the third scoop of ice cream? What am I doing right now as I'm really looking at things on my phone I shouldn't be? Mm. I kind of look at, you know, Nehemiah had a choice here, Mm. right? He had a choice to go, nope, there's too much fear. There's too much whatever. We're going to give up. I'm going to go back to where I came from. Mm. We're going to forget all of this ever happened, and I'm going to go back to my life that was pretty good in the palace. How, how, do we, how do we get past us trying to medicate and into holiness? Mm. That's, that's a complicated question. I know it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I gave it to you. Thank you. <laughs> Here's, uh, and honestly, I'm, let me pull out all my psychology books right now. Uh, do you have some? A couple, but I'm not going to go. Through <laughs> I have one, but that's, that's just, okay. I have one. Never read it, but I have it. I have it. So there's I a couple of like New Testament passages that kind of pop into my mind. One of them is fix your thoughts on Jesus, the right. author and perfect of your faith. And sure. I think when you begin to uh, fixate on the fear or the mm. guilt or the trauma, mm-hmm. then your natural tendency is to gravitate towards the um, towards the medicated right habit, solution, whatever that sure. is, right? But when you fix your eyes on Jesus, then he gets to speak into your heart through the Holy Spirit, some truth that counteracts mm. the lie that you're biting into. And I love that quote. Uh, we all like to eat lies when our hearts are unhealthy or hungry. Yeah. Uh, and I think Jesus has the ability of reminding us of who we are in him. Mm. And then I also remember, I'm, I, I mean, it's a passage I've had memorized for years and I know a lot of people do. It's do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, Ooh. but be renewed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. Uh, and then you'll be able to test and approve what his will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And I think what that says is every, all the struggles, a battle of the mind. How are you allowing yourself to think about things? A.W. Tozer said um, that, that God is your greatest thought of him. And so if you can, Ooh, if you can elevate your, your thinking of who God is, right, based upon the truth of scripture, then all of a sudden your God gets bigger. Absolutely. And your, your issue gets smaller, which, which is always not an easy thing to do. No. But it does provide us something of a, of a, a pathway forward, something of a formula that instead of numbing the pain with these medications that only end up disappointing ourselves and and we regret them, we actually can find some victory over those Mm. kind of things, which is why I actually believe there's so much language in Nehemiah about the defenses that they put in place Mm. from from posting people behind the walls with spears and shields and swords. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a question I have for you. So oh, uh, looking specifically like at this. Brookside, this is fun. Okay? not personal lives, not any other church, okay. Brookside right here. So okay. they were building the wall. That was their vision. That was God's purpose for yeah. them. They had some outside enemies coming in to distract them, disrupt them and destroy the vision itself. Mm-hmm. And so he put defensive measures in place. So you never get the impression that he was on the offense anyway. 
simply defending the vision. And we're not going to show up at Brookside with our swords and spears and shields and AR-15s and pistols and stuff like that, okay? I might be okay with the swords. The swords? That might be actually <laughs> okay. cool. You bring your sword. I actually almost brought spear. mine just so we could sit sitting here. <laughs> just just sit right here. Like, what's that sword doing there for? Don't worry about it. Um, but so, so practically speaking, how do we as a leadership mm. uh, defend Brookside with whatever weapons we have uh, from other things, outside things that are meant to distract, disrupt, and destroy the vision God has given Brookside. Wow. Oh, my. Um, Maybe it's a question of what are some of those outside distractions and oppositions? You know, it's interesting. You and I both recently read a book that I think speaks a lot to this. Um, and I'm trying to recall all my notes now that I took. <laughs> They're in the car. Can I go get them? Yeah. Go um, I'll be back in about five minutes. No. Um, the, I think, I think there's a lot of things and I'm not the world's best leader. So I'm probably going to miss some things here. Um, but one is, and I have lots of things. One is, and we already touched on this. Our God's bigger, right? Like what's the, like, and we have a couple of elders. Uh, Steve Wyatt comes to mind. Denny Zimmerman comes to mind, um, who it doesn't look like they're ever rattled by anything, right? Like nothing gets them riled up. John Augsburger, same way, mm-hmm. even keeled, right? Yep. Like, hey guys, we've, we've seen God show up. This is not that big of a deal. And here's how he does. So I think it's remembering, it's remembering what God has done yeah. and what he said he will do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's key to that. I think another key from a leadership standpoint is just being united in all of those things. Like, hey, we need to call out that this is warfare or this is a problem or we have something subversive in the midst. Um, Let's identify it. Let's not just, and that doesn't mean like we have to, you know, um, be jerks or whatever in the process, but, but we can't fight against things that we haven't identified yet. We can't fight against spirits or whatever the case may be if we haven't identified them. And so I think we need to take the time to, one, are we united? Do we know what the actual problem is? Have we invited the Holy Spirit to speak into this? How much time have we spent in prayer over this? Um, And then how can we be united and have each other's backs as we move forward? I mean, when you look at Nehemiah, you talk about having each other's backs. I mean, I can't think of a better example of um, literally, hey, I'm going to work. I'm going to be working while I hold this sword. And I'm going to have your back while you work. And then we're going to switch. And then I'm going to work and you have my back. And I think that's the perfect mentality for how do we lead well. And I think if we model that, um, one of the things I and I'm, as I'm thinking off the cuff here, I might miss something. I never see Christ throw one of his disciples under a bus in a public way. Mm. I, I, I could be wrong. Uh, I mean, he gets upset with them a few times. <laughs> Rightfully so, I think. Um, but, I, but I love the way that he always draws them back, right? I mean, it's just, mm. there's these beautiful ways that he draws them back. Um, and I think that we have to do that for each other. If we're not modeling 
Christ-like behavior, I think, number one, we have to model it to each other. We have to have each other's backs. We have to love well the way that Christ loved. And then the rest of the church is going to see that. Mm. It's my hope. Mm-hmm. And they'll go, oh, that's how that's modeled. Right. right. And then it just, it's, a, it's that trickle-down effect. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know that I, I answered your question. No, I think it feels you like did. I went for like fifteen uh, minutes. No, it's totally fine. But I think you hit the nail on the head. I think specifically it took me speaking, long enough. That's all right. <laughs> um, when we started this process with Soul Leader, that started right, you know, back in two thousand twenty-two. Yeah, I think this was in part a way that we continued to build the wall, mm-hmm. but at the same time protected the vision, because there were some mm-hmm. underlying issues that were yeah. threatening the vision and the vitality of Brookside. And we know what those kind of things were. And now that we're kind of on the other side of that process and things are healthier, mm-hmm. things are stronger, yeah. there's far more unity now than there's ever been, which I'm so grateful for God for. There is still the vigilance that needs to happen. And so I think yep. you and I have been talking like in the staff, there's always conflict in any kind of team, no matter how what the size, right? The difference yep. is, is that going to be healthy conflict or toxic co- conflict? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we've commented on is, you know, I wish most of our conversations could be on what's the next like, dream and what's the next initiative and you know what's the next sermon series going to be like yeah. but then sometimes we got to spend our time dealing with like interpersonal conflict and yep. putting out little fires mm-hmm. and I know we get tired of that but then when I read Nehemiah I'm thinking okay there's conversations where we get to talk about dreams and future Brookside and it's mm-hmm. exciting and then there's times where you have to engage yeah with yeah. some metaphorical sword or shield or spear yeah. mm-hmm. and, in, and put out little fires that yeah. pop up. You've got to have the interpersonal mm-hmm. conflict resolution right. strategies um, so that that doesn't become a distraction or yeah. a disruption or destroy the vision. So I think, you know, specifically speaking, the process that we started, sorry, that the Elder Board launched, which I appreciate, back in 2020 that continues to today is one way that we are both you know, having a brick and mortar in one mm-hmm. hand to build the wall and then a sword, shield, or spear in the other hand to protect it. Yeah. Um, and there could be other specificities to that, but I think that's one thing I look well, at. Well, and I think the other piece to this puzzle is like, we can't ever feel like we've arrived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it, that wall, I mean, is a figure. It, it's never done. Okay? Right. It just won't be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, we need to get okay with that, that we will never fully arrive. Mm both as a church, as individuals, as congregation, as everybody out here, we can't expect any of them to fully arrive in any way. What we can do is let's lock arms, let's walk together, let's fight for each other, let's love each other, let's figure out how to do this. Mm -hmm. And we'll all grow closer to Christ in the process. So, um, Sorry, one other question. How are we on time? I'm not even sure. Are we, are we're we good. I are we good? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you touched on this, and, and again, this could be an hour-long conversation, okay? How do, and I, but I think this stems well from where we're going, and you already alluded to it. One of the things you mentioned was, you know, having people to fight alongside or pick you up mm-hmm. when you don't even know where to start in the rubble, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about what do those... What, what, how does that relationship look like? Maybe don't name specific names, maybe name specific names, but who are those people in your space? And how did those relationships develop? Hmm. And because my gut tells me it's not a flip of a switch. It's not something that's like, oh, I need somebody to have my back. Oh, well, 30 seconds later, you know. And don't be wrong, we can, hmm. I think that those things, that's how a lot of good relationships start. Hmm. 
um, you know, a, a, a dear friend of mine, um, uh, we didn't become super good friends until we had conflict. Mm. And then when we had conflict and resolved that, we became awesome friends, mm. right? Who will have each other's backs for the rest of our lives. Um, do, you know, how do you, how do you have that kind of relationship where someone can speak into you, speak Christ into you? How do you, how do you develop that? Go ahead. Um, I'll say I'm in a process of still learning that. Um, Fair. I think, well, I know growing up, I don't know if this was just the portrayal of church culture, whether it was, I don't know, whatever it was. I felt like I had to have everything together all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was not vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I was not yep. transparent. And so I couldn't have people who had my back because I was so prideful that I Ooh. couldn't let people have my back. That's great, David. And I know we've talked about that because we're yep. both like do it ourselves kind of people. A little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel better that way. No. Um, and so I, I feel like I'm on a journey of learning how to be vulnerable and how to let people have my back. Okay. And so for me, it's been an intentional like letting go of some of that pride. Right. And saying like, I right. don't have it all together. I may be on staff at a church, but I'm still human. Wow. And I think we see that in a lot of pastors too. We've talked about that on different podcasts where they feel untouchable, but it's just because of the, the way that we've put them on pedestals or shaped them or however that works. So for me, I don't think anyone can have your back until you let people into Ooh. that space. So that's what I'm learning and that's what I'm working on. That's rich. And I'm starting to find people like that. Yep. So I think if, if you have um, humility on both people's parts, then I think there's a mutual um, um, ab- ability to approach each other and be humble with each other so that mm. you can listen and so you can be and so you can give. So if you're not humble enough to give your wisdom and your resources, then you're not going to be willing to, to actually engage with that person. But once there's humility established, then I think it's a matter of relational equity. Um, where you're willing to actually be available for people. And so if you have an issue and I'm saying, good luck with that, I hope it all works out, but I'm not willing to actually sit down with you and, and engage in the conversation, then I've not done anything for you except give you some lip service. And I think that's a lot of Christianity today is a lot of lip service. <laughs> but when, when you're struggling, listen, what's well, something I said this weekend is if you're part of a, a local church community, especially Brookside, it's not a matter of coming and singing your songs and listening to a sermon. Right. It's about being willing to fight for the vision and fight for the people who are building the same wall with you. And so it's a matter of proximity and availability that builds that relational equity. So when you are in trouble, you know who to run to right away. Mm. Well, I think that's super healthy. Uh, I, know, I know for me personally, it, it's, you know, my wife um, is huge when, I mean, there's nobody I can vent to better than her. Um, and, and she's beautiful at listening to everything that I have to say. Um, but again, that's been a relationship that has been over 20 years in the making, right? It's, it takes time and vulnerability. Um, I have a core group of, of friends that, you know, we get together every couple of weeks and again, that has taken time. That group's been around for eight years now or something along those lines. And, um, and it's just, I think it's hyper intentionality of like, 
you know, I'm, I'm a super, and, and I think we all have to be aware a little bit of our DNA and how we're made up. You know, David, you spoke to that a little bit was, well, I'm kind of made up to be a loner. I'm like, if you read my personality profile, it actually says, remember to smile on it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's what it says right on it. You are a robot. Oh, that's encouraging. Yeah. Um, so I've actually, I mean, that's, I've had to learn that like, oh no, I need people. Mm. Like I not put on this planet to do life alone. Um, and so though it, it's not a natural thing for me, it's something that Christ has been growing me into. Um, I figure if, if Christ wanted people around him, I should probably want people around me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and maybe that's... Although he did need some breaks from people. So you he did. I break. take breaks. Trust yeah. me. You can... Yeah. Where's dad? <laughs> um... <laughs> Hiding. Don't go look for him. Yeah. He's in the basement with the lights <laughs> off. And... <laughs> that's happened before. I understand. Me too. Um, and so, I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying... I'm definitely not... Uh, I'm, I'm the introverted, uh, antisocial person. So I understand okay. that. But, um, but I think it's that, I think you guys did a great job of talking about vulnerability. It's a two way street. Mm. Right. Um, so I, I love that. And I think, I think, you know, when I, even when I look at Christ, uh, you know, his, the, the intimacy with his father, mm -hmm. the way he would pray and engage his dad. Um, I'm like, Oh, that's how this is supposed to work. Um, so what else? Anything else before we wrap up? Thank you for being with us, man. It was oh, a great sure. conversation and I appreciate you hosting. This I enjoy it. Look forward to the next time you're on it. And yeah. always, Dave, it's good to have you. With, so, <laughs> All right. So thank you for joining us for Church Unscripted. Uh, love these conversations. Uh, hope that you will engage with us. Please like, comment, uh, subscribe, and uh, we hope to see you on Sunday. Take care.